TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Stories of that game and what happened in the clubhouse is just fantastic. There's no game that can bleep you like this one. <laughs> it's Roycey on baseball. Let's go. Annie Hill and Ricey talking some baseball. We'll have uh, Buster Olney a little later. And Mark Bowman, who covers the Atlanta Braves and is in town with the uh, Bravos and uh, Monday night. Hellacious baseball game on a beautiful night at Target Field. But, uh, Manny, I was listening to Levitard this morning. And they were uh, doing home run trivia, basically, on (laughs) on this season and these astounding numbers. Okay. And... It struck me that being in the middle of this home run orgy that the <laughs> Twins are engaged in, I don't know if we fully appreciate it. Yeah. We know the ball is juiced, mm-hmm. but these phenomenal things that are happening, I'm not sure, Are we? have we become numb to the fact that they're hitting five home runs in nine different games and things like this. I got to tell you, they're about to shatter the home run record Mm -hmm. set by the 1963 Twins of 225. (laughs) That was Harmon Killebrew, Bob Allison. Now, Tony wasn't here yet. Mm -hmm. Bob Allison, Don Mincher. Earl Batty was hitting home runs. Zoila was hitting home runs as a shortstop. Uh, Everybody was hitting home runs. We have never seen anything like this and would never see anything like this again. Those of us who were young then and fans of that team. Next year, they hit 221. And on May 2nd uh, of that year, I just looked it up. I was looking for the date. They hit four consecutive home runs. Really? They hit four, and we thought, my God, this is... And then Earl Batty (laughs) hit the top of the fence. It would have been five in a row, and it was the most astounding home run thing we would ever see in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And now... Uh, you know, if they hit four in a row now, we'll say, wow, they hit four in a row. Another another day at the office. (laughs) They hit four in a row. But, Pat, they're going to have... 300. They're going to have eight guys hit 20 home runs this year. Yes, yes. Eight, yes. And, uh, you know, Mincher hit 17, not playing full-time. Minch in a pinch. We thought he was the greatest <laughs> ever. You know, he'd be just another guy. Jimmy Hall was on that team in 63. Jimmy Hall, that year, Manny, mm-hmm. 1963. I'm looking up the team right now. 1963, hit 33. And he he was, you know, came, sort of showed up. He was a rookie. He was the, that was the most home runs ever hit by a player in the American League who did not have a previous at-bat in the major leagues. In other words, it wasn't a rookie record, but it was a record for someone who had never hit in the major leagues until that season. Okay. So first-year player. It was mm-hmm. it was a record. 33 home runs. 33 home runs! My goodness. You know? Well, now I have not... Five guys with 33 home runs <laughs> if, if Sano keeps going here. Yeah. It's... Uh, it is it is an incredible thing. What I always remember for some reason, I was I was a I was a Cardinal fan and I was a twin, you know, and following the Twins obviously, but in and I would switch back and forth. You know, hit the dial, hit mm-hmm. KMOX and then hit CCO, you know, and listen to the game. Cuz KMOX could get 
all the way up here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in 64, I remember I I wanted this. Harry was doing a game. The Twins, I was listening to the Twins hit these home runs, but I was flipping back to see what Harry would say about them. <laughs> and I remember Harry, you know, that's when they would have the ticker tape in the in the booth. And they'd follow other games. Mm-hmm. And I remember after they hit like the third in a row or the fourth in a row, Harry saying, when are they going to win the pennant up there? Because they were hitting. They were, they were such. They were so legendary mm-hmm. for their power. And then one of the things, one of the reasons they won in 65, the, the narrative became. They kind of switched from just wanting to hit home runs, and they moved runners more, and they, mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, they played a little more of a, a tighter brand of home run or nothing baseball. The '65 uh, team, Harmon led the team with 25 home runs. Yeah, in right. He was hurt though. He, yeah. he got hurt at the All Star game and mm-hmm. didn't play again until late September. But well, how many did that home team hit? They were in the. They, they didn't hit, hit two hundred. I don't. Think. They hit one hundred and fifty home runs. Yeah, and the year before they hit two twenty one, and the year before that they hit two twenty five. Mm-hmm. So you can go back in the in the local in the Twin Cities newspapers and read that it was an accomplishment to not hit so many home <laughs> runs and do other things to score runs That's and amazing. move runners and you know you get that guy at second, get him over to third, have that productive out, you know, and. Uh, and we, but we're in the midst of this. They're going to hit 300 home runs. Now the baseball's flying. The bat's a steel rod. But this is, I don't know if we properly appreciate this. And I would like to actually sit down with Baldelli with nobody else around and to maybe get him to talk candidly. And I have no hopes of doing this, by the way. Right. Because he's impossible. Mm -hmm. But there is no way in God's green earth any of them imagined this. No. Anybody. Falvey. Evans, no. Levine. Melodally. Rousen. There's no way that any of them managed, could have possibly envisioned having the most potent power team in the history of baseball. In they the history of be, baseball. They thought there would be improvement, they would, they, but they, nobody <laughs> could have imagined this. No, no, yeah. nobody could have imagined the ball flying like it did. You know, you were hoping Kepler could fight his way back from, mm-hmm. what, hitting two twenty eight last year or yeah. whatever it was. And he's got 31 home runs, and he's going to finish in the top four in MVP, and Cruz is going to finish sixth, you know, I mean, just because he only plays uh, one position. You know he does. He doesn't play a position, but uh, and you know what? The third baseman. He's, well, you know, well, that ball. I'm still last very day, hesitant. I'm still yeah. very hesitant to buy all the well, way he in. Just, but he just came off, you know, two typical Miguel games where mm-hmm. he didn't hit the ball. He struck out looking bad, but uh, he went up there last night. He got a pitch to hit, and he hit it. Mm-hmm. He killed it. And of course, Acuna, you know, it was great seeing him. He's running off the field and the ball's still in the air. Did you <laughs> yeah. did they show that they show that replay? You know, the pitcher's kinda the pitcher knows too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's funny that we didn't get I at least on T V we didn't get the instant that thing is because right. watching the swing, you knew it had yeah, to be you a could home tell. run. And and the way he but reacted it was center as soon field. as he made contact yeah, too. Yeah. I mean but it it was I think it was a breaking ball, it was down and he killed it. 
And I'll say that he's, uh, you know, he, he has been better in the last month. And, you know, he got basically bottomed out. Mm-hmm. And he's he's been better. And uh, they they have gotten him. His pitch recognition has improved because you're seeing instead of four check swings a night, mm-hmm. you might see a one a night or two a night. You do kind of the sense. checks if to me, Manny, it, it's always check swings to mm-hmm. tell whether you're recognizing pitches or not. What yeah. were you going to say? Well, no, I was just going to say it. It just seems like there is more of. An actual plan, an actual approach yeah, to the plate. Like, yeah. okay, I'm throws... going to make an adjustment here. And okay, that's this guy, this Martin guy who they just got from uh, Atlanta, I mean from Texas, uh, throws breaking balls. I, he, I thought he was supposed to be a hard thrower, but somebody told him, you know, if he hits you a breaking ball, if he throws you a breaking ball strike, hit it 700 feet, mm-hmm. and he did. Yeah. And he did. But it's interesting. I mean, the Twins go out and get Sam Dyson. At the, uh, you know, and he shut down, basically tells everybody he's got a sore arm now, which sounds like excuses. But Atlanta gets Sean Green from Detroit. Mm -hmm. He pukes up two in a row, and they didn't use him last night. They used this guy. This guy they got from Texas, Mm -hmm. he gives up the game loser. Uh, Kimbrell was terrible before they shut him down with a bad knee. Yeah. All these uh, at at Washington got a, brought in three relievers, and they have they finally won last night. But they basically aren't everyone who yeah. went out and aggressive. The best relief acquisition so far has been bullet throwing Sergio Romo, <laughs> who's who's dazzled everybody with his eighty two mile hour slider and his eighty four mile hour fastball. He is a character though. Oh he is. He's funnier now. Yeah, that's they, uh, the thing uh, the thing with Gorg the other day where he's confused over what's uptown and what's downtown <laughs> in Minneapolis. Oh, I didn't see that. No. Yeah, he's like he's like, Well, uptown I'm I'm getting used to uptown, which is actually not. Below downtown, south of downtown. Yeah, yeah. So it was yeah. great. He's he's great. He's, yeah, he's a lot he of fun. is. Well, and I think a lot of people thought, oh, Sergio Romo, and he pitched for Mexico. He's from California. Mm-hmm. He's like Eddie Gardner. Yeah, you know, he's. I mean, except unlike Eddie, I think Sergio can speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, that's the famous Eddie story. You know, there's there some gal. I don't know who she was. She was like a. This is. Ten years ago, well, God, when he, when he was pitching, so what? Fifteen years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, when he when he came back, whatever that was. Uh, I've been two thousand. Yeah, so yeah, uh, eleven, twelve years ago. Mm-hmm. And this gal was there, and I don't know what she was doing. She was writing some piece, and she walked up to him and said, "Can you speak English?" She said to Eddie. <laughs> he said to Eddie, and he says, "Yes, but I can't speak Spanish." <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, yeah, this guy is, uh, he's been okay, but this is, I, I don't know. I can't, I don't know if we've got our heads around this or not, Manny. Yeah, I know. This is team is good. You know, the 27 Yankees, forget it, (laughs) forget it. You know, they're blowing by them. They're going to, uh, I I just kind of got thinking about this today because, you know, Levitard isn't exactly Mr. Baseball, right? Right. <laughs> they don't talk a lot of baseball on that show. Yeah. 
and he and Stu Gatz, and then they started those twins. What is going on with those? You know that yeah. they were, you know, the twins are more of a national story and phenomenon than they are a local. I mean, it, yeah. we're not like, you know, they can hit four home runs in a night, and we say, boy, that relief pitching, you know, man, alive. That's uh, they got to do something about the relief pitching. Yeah. Instead of saying, God Almighty, they hit four more last night. I have noticed that there is sort of that. And I'm just sort of, I don't know if struggling is the right word, but it's, I'm still trying to figure out just how to really talk about this team because there are, you know, there are, there are question marks about the bullpen and the mm-hmm. starting rotation and things like that. But then, to your point, though, you do have to kind of sit back and look and say, this team is doing something historically yes, significant. Right. Yes. And at some point, on, a nightly, to, on damn near a nightly basis. Yes. Right? Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's unbelievable. It's yes, been a lot of fun. It too. is. And uh yeah, it's uh, I I'm, I'm not sure that we uh that we've gotten our arms. I don't think it's hard to get your arms around this. I mean, yeah. but here's one thing I got to say about them. They have more than any team in this era of three and four player benches. Mm-hmm. They have more players. They they rarely now Jake Cave could be the exception now because he's got to play. Mm-hmm. They rarely have put a guy in the lineup who you were uh, unhappy to see in the lineup. Sure, yeah. you know, I mean, they got twelve guys that move them around, and every even Adrian's everybody they play, and it, they have a depth that we haven't had. We I don't think they had this kind of depth when they were winning all the division titles in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. They didn't have, you know, and the benches back then were sometimes five. Sometimes you only had eleven pitchers. Yeah. Most of the time. So uh it's you know, the the fact that they have these interchangeable parts and that's another I mean like a rise. You can't tell you can't tell me anybody in that organization <laughs> thought he was gonna have three hundred at bats this year. Yeah. Yes. So and be hitting over three fifty yeah, or three forty or whatever yeah. the hell he's yeah. hitting right now. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh we'll talk to Buster here in a minute. Planning for a secure future requires sound investment advice. That's why I rely on my guy, Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, for guidance in planning and maintaining a long-term financial strategy. This is Ricey, and I've known Josh for many years. I trust Josh and recommend him because he listens and delivers the kind of service that you'll need to feel confident about your financial future. I encourage you to get to know him the same way I did many years ago. Call Josh Arnold at 952 952- 925-5608 and set up your 48-minute no-obligation consultation. Call 952-925-5608. You'll always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. Call Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold at 952-925-5608. Investment advisor services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a registered advisor in the state of Minnesota. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. Buster Olney with us, ESPN and ESPN.com. What's up? Well, I'm a little concerned, Patrick, that during the course of this interview, you're going to hear cannon fire in the background. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's uh, the Battle of the Bluffhead. I'm on vacation up in Lake George, New York, <laughs> um, and there's we have uh, there's a passing tour boat, and it's tradition that we fire the signal cannon at the tour boat. Uh, <laughs> and so that's supposed to happen here in the next half an hour, so I'm a little bit worried you're going to hear some, some uh, mayhem in the background. I thought you were a Cape Cod guy. You changed your vacation area, huh? 
No, I uh, Lake George running is running my family. My uh, that Peter Gammons is the Cape Cod guy. Okay. I'm, I'm more of the Lake George upstate New York type. Wow, man, Lake George, gorgeous. The family's been up there for years. Uh, yeah, we actually we rent a place for my cousin, and it was built by my great great grandparents in the in 1880, <laughs> and it houses 20 people, and so family gather here for a couple weeks every summer, and I always look forward to it. Except for this, uh, the Battle of the Bluffhead, which happens twice a week. <laughs> well, Buster, don't worry. We're used to loud noises up here with the twins. Uh, it's uh, Manny and I were just talking about this. Uh, Sano wins a game last night with a rocket off the facade in center field. I don't know if being in the midst of this, we appreciate what's going on with this team. I think nationally people are more dumbfounded than we should be dumbfounded here locally because there's no way anybody could anticipate this. But this is unbelievable, and I'm not sure being part of it makes you appreciate it fully. Yeah, and they're starting to generate numbers. They have been generating numbers, which you thought when they when they began at the beginning of the season that, oh, it's an outlier, and they'll slow down. <laughs> well, they're not slowing down, and we're two-thirds of the way through the season, more than two-thirds of the way through the season. They're obviously going to set the record for most home runs in a season, but I thought about this today as well. You know, they go into action on Tuesday having hit 219 homers, having allowed just 139. That's a difference of 80, wow. which is staggering. And I, I, I wish I had this number for you because I reached out to some stat people this morning to get it for you. I haven't gotten it. But the, the first person I mentioned it to, Sarah Langs, does a great job, researcher for us. Uh, she was like, wow, I hadn't even thought about that. She said, that, that is absolutely got to be a record trajectory. I don't have the details, but look, at the end of the year, if they wound up having hit – 120 more homers than their opponents during the course of games, that's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, yeah. that, that's, that is a, a recipe for a lot of success. And who knows, maybe we should start thinking of them as being a real sleeper in the postseason, you know, a real danger to teams like the Astros and the, and the Yankees because of that, uh, being able to do that. And the big man uh, who did nothing in the first half of the season, Sano, has joined the parade now. So while if some of the other guys might slow down, uh, he might, uh, you know, he might, he's got 19. He might end up hitting 30 because uh, you throw him a bad breaking ball, it's going to go a long ways. Well, and, and keep in mind, you know, we're, we're all rightly celebrating Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, and what a, you know, great uh, talent he is, the potential he is. You know this. Three years ago, Miguel Sano was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the sport. Yes. Where the way that people talked about his hitting ability and, and how it is transformative. And who knows, maybe what he's gone through in the last year and a half has, you know, scared him straight, for lack of a better way to put it, and, and, you know, more focus. And now that, you know, now he's on the field and he's producing, um, he's always have been seen as someone who's got the transcendent talent as a hitter. And it's, it's cool to see it manifest. Uh, Manny and I were just talking. There's no way that our uh, our manager, uh, who doesn't really go real in depth for you, Baldelli, and the rest of these fellas, could have imagined a Max Kepler hitting 31. <laughs> and th- I mean, there's things here that uh, you know they could have been optimistic about their ha- that what they had, but this level of uh, that nobody could have had this level of optimism. No, or that Mitch Garver would hit 20 home yeah, runs. Right. Uh, yeah, look, right. yeah, in talking with evaluators around baseball, there is some 
um, for back of a, lack of a better word, just, uh, confusion over what we're seeing. <laughs> yes. We're asking the question, like, boy, how much of this is real and how much of it is the baseball? Uh, but I just remember a conversation I had with James Rowlison early in the year, and he talked about uh, the, the Twins' focus on trying to hit high velocity in the upper half of the zone and the, and the work that they put in. And I know talking with evaluators of other teams, they feel like the Twins are better at it than any other team. Um, but it certainly, you know, demonstrated in the, the numbers they put up, the, the team slugging percentage, all the home runs. And, I mean, let's face it, that's the root cause that, you know, for the Twins at this point to not only be in first place, but it, to have le- at least beaten off the first counterattack by the Indians, yes. you know, charged towards the top of the division. Um, and it makes you understand a little bit better maybe why the, the Twins weren't more aggressive at the trade deadline, believing in their guys you are putting up some really great numbers. Buster, it's almost become laughable to me, too, that you look at the kind of season Nelson Cruz is having, and you, then you're reminded he didn't make the All-Star team, <laughs> and he's having just a season that is off the charts, almost even for him now at 39 years old. Yeah, and I remember after he signed that deal with the Twins, I mean, think about it. He had a great year last year with the Mariners, and when he got his contract, talking with the agents, uh, they were like, Man, if, if, why is it that uh, Delson Cruz gets only twelve million dollars guaranteed with his deal? Why did he take a pay cut from last year? Um, you know, everyone in baseball has been continually waiting for him to drop off, figuring that like every other player who gets older, there's going to be a decline. Uh, teams aren't trusting older players in the way that they used to. The Twins invested in an older player, and they're getting a huge return on it because this is one thing that. He's been able to do his whole career is to hit velocity, and in an era in which you know pitchers are throwing harder than ever, he's taking advantage of it. Uh, Buster, a lot of teams went out and got relief pitching uh, there at the uh, at the break, and are are regretting it so far. Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, Green blows two in a row, and then this Martin last night gives up the home run to Snow. Uh, Washington brought in three guys, and they finally won a game last night. They've kind of been in the skids. And, uh, you know, Kimbrell, they got him earlier, but he they had to shut him down, and he wasn't getting anybody out. And Sam Dyson goes on the DL here. He says, oh, by the way, my arm hasn't felt good for weeks. So uh, <laughs> uh, the, the best acquisition has been Sergio Romo, who's, who can throw it 78 endlessly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, and it is a reminder that when, uh, you know, it is like me, when you talk about the winners and the losers at the trade deadline, how it doesn't always turn out that way. You remember last year how we all thought, and I was in that category, the Dodgers did better than anybody because that got Manny Machado. Well, it turned out that the guy who probably was the most effective acquisition uh, at the trade deadline was a, a guy who was sort of a, a forgotten, fringy player named Luke Voigt. Who yes. went to the Yankees? The <laughs> analytics department got him, and he, and he was terrific. Um, you, you know, you mentioned Kimbrel. Uh, at the time they signed him, I know internally the uh, the Cubs felt confident about it. I talked with folks with other teams who had been involved, and they're like, you know what? That's a great signing. Doesn't cost him anything more than cash. Well, it hasn't turned out. When he first pitched, I started to hear from evaluators, boy, he looks a little heavy. And oh, really? his fastball mm. velocity down is down uh, like it was toward the end of last year, and. And now we're beginning to wonder, you know, is this a case where they took on a player who's, who's regressing? You just never know, <laughs> hit the trade deadline, who's going to pay off and who's not going to pay off. And, um, you know, maybe that's why 
part of the reason why we saw teams really hold back and, and decide in the end. I know, uh, you know, I talked to Brian Cashman again the other day, the Yankees general manager, uh, you know, talked to people with the Dodgers after they didn't al- add the elite reliever that uh, they were looking for. Uh, because sometimes guys change hands. The one thing I'd say about Kimbrell is that as we move forward, he's now going to be held up as a, you know, a cautionary tale of investing in these guys who sit out the beginning of the season. It just does not pay off. But meanwhile, Boston not signing him didn't pay off for them either. Their bullpen went in their tank, and their starters have, uh, you know, just not lived up to expectations. So, uh, you know, maybe they they were uh, they didn't want to spend the money either, and they they weren't able to replace him in that bullpen. And I know that you know their front office got blasted last week in Boston for not stepping up and adding relief help. Maybe the front office sees something in that team that everyone else should start to see, that they're just not good enough, um, that it hasn't, uh, you know, it's just not, it's a different year, and, and maybe it's the hangover effect. Maybe just, you know, guys not performing as well. But I can tell you this, I was in that clubhouse on Sunday, and it had the feel of a team playing out its schedule in September. Yeah. Like, that team was beaten, uh, and, and it felt like uh, it's beaten. And, you know, as we move forward, uh, it's going to be like it's becoming the holy grail in, in baseball. How can you overcome the hangover when you yeah. win a championship one season and try to come back the next year? I actually had a conversation with a general manager recently who said he believes that part of the issue is social media, believe it or not, where he feels like, you know, it used to be 20, 25 years ago, guys could get away from the sport for uh, and and sort of separate themselves. He goes, now, like, Teams win and they become weary. And by the way, uh, Patrick, uh, as I'm talking, I'm seeing the uh, the enemy ship is starting <laughs> to come within range okay. out of the distance. And so I, you know, I know that the the forces are gathering around our cannon here on this the is a this is the family cannon or is it the neighborhood cannon? No, it's a uh, it's it's we got a new cannon three years ago, <laughs> and it uh, is owned by my cousins. And that's right, we have a you know twice a week battles with this. Uh, <laughs> Through the, mo- the mighty Mohegan. Well, okay, we're ready. We're ready. Uh, we'll be. Uh, they don't need you to help load it up, do they? No, I just hide behind the tree. Okay, hiding behind the tree. But I don't, I don't know if uh, it's going to happen within this. But I see it off in the distance. I think within fifteen minutes, the firing will take place. Say, uh, for all their woes, though, and their ten straight road series that they have not won. The Cubs are still going to win that division, I think, don't you? Just they're just better so than everybody. Yeah, and Patrick, look, I, I think we, you know, we came through the trade deadline rightly talking about, you know, the great job done by the Houston Astros and their owner, uh, you know, Jim Crane stepping up and taking on the contract to Zach Ranking and adding Aaron Sanchez and doing what they do with pitchers and trying to help them get better. I felt like the Cubs did pretty well. Um, yeah, and I know Kimbrel hasn't worked out so far. But, you know, the other additions that they made, uh, you know, getting Tony Kemp, getting Derek Holland, adding, you know, to the Nicholas Castellanos to the talent they have, they're giving their team options. And they're giving manager Joe Madden options. And I I mentioned to one person in the front office, boy, you guys come through that period, you know, your your conscience is clear. You guys have tried. Uh, You know, they've been frustrated by what the team has done and the inconsistency of the team. But they certainly seem to have the depth that the Brewers don't have. The one thing I'd say about this, 
you know, we felt like with the Cardinals that the two things that had to happen besides trade stuff is that Paul Goldschmidt had to perform better and Jack Flaherty, the young pitcher, had to perform better. That's those things are happening. But and they that team a lot more dangerous. And they went past them, and then they uh, fell back again. So who's worse, the Orioles or the Tigers? I'd like to go to a series. Do they have a series left? I'd like to watch that battle. Man, you're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, it's funny because I think that if your question is, you know, which team is worse at the big league level, I think the Orioles are. But in terms of what's the worst team and their position moving forward, big picture, I think the Tigers are. Yeah. And I hear that from other teams. They feel like, boy, they don't have much talent. The Orioles at least have started the process of putting together, uh, you know, guys on the roster, talent in the roster with a new front office that they have. Um, but the Tigers have continually surprised other teams by not being more aggressive sooner with guys like Matthew Boyd. Like, for example, when they yes. talked to the Yankees recently about – you know, a possible deal for Matthew, for Boyd, who's looked at as more of a number three, number four type starter. You know, they asked for Glaber Torres in return. And the Yankees are like, we're not trading you a 22-year-old shortstop who's already a star-level player at the big leagues for a number three type starter. Uh, and so the perception among folks with other teams is that the Tigers haven't been good, been done well in flipping talent they've had. Apparently the uh, Diamondbacks were a little nuts about what they wanted for Robbie Ray, too, who's a five-inning pitcher. A hundred percent. You know, the Yankees were in on that, uh, and they asked for Clint Frazier, the young outfielder, and then three or four prospects wow. in the minor leagues beyond that, and the Yankees are like, no way. I, look, I, you know, I live in the New York area, uh, you know, covered the Yankees, and they got a lot of criticism, and the reality is if the Yankees lose because they're starting pitching in the postseason, Brian Cashman's going to get hammered. You know, last week in the back page of the New York Post, uh, they showed an image of uh, Brian photoshopped <laughs> as, as zom- a zombie uh, because he slept through the deadline. Uh, and that's just the, the reality. And I talked to him and said, well, that's why you make the big bucks, because you have to wear stuff like that. But I know from talking with him and, you know, you, you, you walk through all the decisions that they made, I don't think he has any regrets because he didn't feel like there was any deal where he, he was, uh, you know, could add a difference-making type player where it was an acceptable uh, ask on the other side. Plus, he's been in New York long enough to be immune to the post, I would think, the back page. <laughs> if you're a Yankees exec and you, are, uh, you get upset by the back page of the post, you're in trouble. Well, and at some point, I assume that you probably get to a point where you can laugh at him. Oh, yes, yes. And he's got two kids. One, I think, is uh, 19, and the other one's like 15, and they... They probably had a good laugh at the Photoshop picture of Dad as a zombie. Well, you competed against the Post, but i got to say they do have their moments. My favorite was uh, <laughs> when the serial killer was uh, was let out of jail on a technicality and they showed a mugshot of this maniac on the front page and said, Run for your lives! <laughs> What's the hell? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shoot that boat out of the water. Come on, don't let them get past you. They're the Brits. The arms. The Brits. The arms. The arms. <laughs> yes. All right, Buster. Thank you. See you guys. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. Buster is trying to fight off the Redcoats, man, up there on Lake George. <laughs> That's not a bad way to spend a couple of weeks in the summer. Pretty cool stuff. Beautiful there. Lake George. All right. We'll be back. Hey, uh, Mark Bowman uh, covers the uh, Braves for MLB.com, and uh, we'll talk to him about how things are going in Atlanta. 
Mark Bowman is with us, uh, covers the Atlanta Braves for uh, MLB.com, has been doing so for 19 years. So uh, how does the uh, public like the new ballpark? You know, I think that it has been a, a big hit. Uh, the good fan experience, I, you know, the unique part is the, the battery, the, the the area that has all the restaurants and stores and you know, entertainment options, hotel out there. I, you know, just the, the quality of, food and the uh, just the, the excitement that that area creates as people enter the ballpark that, that's very unique I think that, that you've seen the crowds continue to, to pile in there obviously having a winning team is the most important element to you know attendance especially from a long stand, standing standpoint but um, you know I, I do think that uh, it has been a hit in the city of Atlanta it was really or, it's really Excuse me. It's it's really kind of a tribute to the new baseball audience, isn't it? To the, the you know the the twenty eight year old craft beer crowd that's going to watch seven innings and have a good time, right? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I thought that the, my daughter, when it was being built, you know, she doesn't have any interest in baseball. I said you're going to enjoy the stadium because there's plenty of you can go there and it's just know that there's a game going on beyond behind you, but there's there's so much uh, so many other things for them to do there. Um, you know, not only just outside the stadium, but but inside the stadium. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you you want to get people into your store to show them what you have. So if that's what it takes, I have no problem with it. You know, I think that, uh, like I said, if you have a winning product and there's excitement, people want to be at that place. And if that that's what it takes to develop this next generation uh, to become, you know, add add some members of that next generation to become baseball fans. That, that's great. Hey, Mark, uh, so who are those 40,000, 50,000 people going to soccer games? Is that the same crowd? You know what? I, I'm, there's obviously some crossover, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, Atlanta has truly taken to this soccer team. It's, uh, uh, once again, it, it, it didn't hurt that they won last year, but they were drawing crowds, you know, on, you know the first year, uh, incredible crowds. Um they they didn't even have Mercedes Benz Stadium open when they they started and uh, yeah it, it's something new something exciting um, I don't think it is taken away from the Braves in any way shape or form there is some crossover um, it's good that the Braves are winning now you know at, at the same time um, but it's you know in terms of um, you know just the city that. The city is certainly big enough to, to handle both both clubs, and it, it's. Uh, I said something to one of the the TV guys the other day. I said, "Well, the first time I can remember in 20 years, I know the Hawks aren't quite there, but when you look at you know all the professional teams, you look at where the University of Georgia is right now. Georgia Tech has a new coach. There, there's not that one club, that one team that everyone follows within the city." Um, that's in a really a, a downward cycle right now. So it's an exciting time in Atlanta. Hey, uh, Mark, uh, what's uh, so losing Marcakis? Uh, when you look at the lineup, uh, you can see that little bit of a hole there. I mean, the top five is pretty dang good, but uh, you, losing him kind of makes him a little less deep, I would guess. Well, it's, it's certainly a, a hit. I mean, it's uh, they are very fortunate that Adam Duvall has done what he has done so far. You know, stepping in and 
and being a productive bat, uh, you know, you just have to wonder. People can look at Marcus and say, you know, he's this, he's that. He's not. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, light up the 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 board with, with this incredible those those numbers that you know those metrics that, that people place high value on. But at the same time, pitchers respect him. Now, all of a sudden, you put him right behind Josh Donaldson. Um, you know, pitchers are on a daily basis. Uh, I think Josh benefited from that. I'm, you know, Josh is going to continue to hit with, you know, when they put the catcher or, um, you know, Brian McCann in there. Obviously, he, he's still going to gain some respect, too, from opposing pitchers. But, yeah, I, I think just having that presence in the lineup, you know, it, it can have some kind of impact. But they have been very fortunate to that Adam Duvall has come up and, and looked like, they had him to fall pre-2018. They, they, they acquired him before last year's trade deadline. He didn't uh, didn't perform. They sent him to the minors for the first four months this year. And since he's come up, you know, he's he's shown that uh, not only can he pro- still provide some power, but as you saw last night with that catch, he he made him, he uh, he gives them gold glove caliber defense. So, uh, a lot. Um, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they, they handle it the rest of the way. It would have been nice to add another outfielder to trade deadline, but uh, they're going to have to go with what they have right now. A lot of people uh, question uh, Donaldson uh, throwing that big one-year deal at him with uh, what, uh, you know, his injury history, but, uh, man, he can still hit. Uh, he, yeah, I mean, I, he's been a lot of fun to watch. You know, he, he provides not only just incredible power, I mean, he's, you know, there's no doubt he's still he's hitting the ball harder right now on a consistent basis than he did during his his MVP season. Um, the power is there. The glove has been this. You know, until you watch him on an everyday basis, you don't realize how good he is with that glove. And then he uh, he brings that flair as you saw last night when he started walking towards first base before that ball <laughs> reached the glove. So, that was uh, that was interesting. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to watch him play and, and just be around Josh. He's uh, you got to get to know him, you know. And once you do, you know you you truly uh, truly appreciate the, the opportunity to be around him. What impressed me on Monday night was that ball he rifled uh, right field when they needed a run, and he just you know they were trying to work him away, and he just ripped it to right field to tie the ball game. So uh, he can still do that too. Yeah, and the, the people here in Minnesota know because I know. Uh, I think last night he entered entered the game with like uh, let's let's just say eighty plate appearances here at Target Field. He had ten homers, one point two eight five OPS. I mean, I don't think there's been too many opposing hitters that, that have done better than. Him. Well, unfortunately for the Twins and the uh, Toronto used to come in here with Bautista and Carnacion and him, and between them they'd hit about. 12 home runs in a three-game series, and that was with the the little mushy ball, not the Titleist that we're hitting now. They were, uh, they were, you know, that was when uh, the target field first opened and we thought it was large, <laughs> and now yeah. they're... Uh, you know, it is funny how uh, everybody has uh, picked up the relievers on... Uh, 
at the trade deadline. And, uh, you know, Atlanta's had their share of misery here with Green and then Martin last night. And, uh, you know, Kimbrell broke down and uh, Washington's whole crew that they got. Uh, everybody raises holy hell about bringing in uh, players at the trading deadline. And, uh, you know, long term it might work out. But the Twins brought in Dyson. He's already on the DL. So it doesn't always work out. No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Sometimes, sometimes you. I'm not saying that that, that Romo was not is a, a nothing, but sometimes those are the guys you truly get lucky for the under the radar. Yeah. Um, you know, guys that didn't get a lot of attention when they were acquired before the deadline. Those sometimes they provide the best value. I I wrote last night that it. You know, I haven't covered Chipper for so many years. You, you look at. Shane Green blew a save Saturday, gave up a three-run homer in the tenth inning of Sunday's loss to the Reds, and then you have Chris Martin give up the home run last night. A week ago, everyone was saying Braves had the greatest, you know, best bullpen. Now went from worst to first again, you know, right? And now, now you have this. Chipper would have just sat there just locked her last night and said the baseball gods are having fun with us right now. The original. Uh... <laughs> The original Atlanta ballpark was the launching pad because of altitude. Uh, do you still uh, get that out in the new ballpark? The uh, it's hard to tell with the new baseball whether there's extra carry or not. I suppose. I yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I think yeah. Even the altitude obviously is always going to play a play a part. If at first we thought the wind pattern was even going to add to it, we have not seen that since the first couple months of the season you know even bp before the stadium opened you were thinking oh boy the ball's jumping and then you then you throw together a fishing staff that had you know bartolo cologne and r.a dickey and um um who else is there oh yeah jaime garcia yep. they all struggled there early on and a couple other guys and the home run numbers were, were high but i i'm not going to say it's just it's not a it's not a pitcher's park like Turner Field was because the ball does jump to right field, but uh, it, it plays pretty fair. I think it's you know there there's certainly plenty of other ballparks you can can say uh, are are far more um, offensively friendly. Mark Bowman uh, covers the Braves for MLB.com. Boy, I love that kid that pitched last night, Soroka. The Twins got to him a little bit, but that curveball, that breaking ball, that slider, I guess, unbelievable. I'll tell you what, he's he, 21 years old. Well, he turned 22 a couple of days ago. Wow. Which, uh, 22 years old, just uh, his poise from the, from the day you met him, you knew that he was going to make it. I always described him when he was coming up through the – the minor league says he was the safest bet. There was no doubt he was going to be at number three at the major league level. There was a chance he would he could become a number one or number two, but there was his his floor was a number three. You knew it. He his pitching IQ, his stuff, as you said, you know, he has a great breaking ball. He has the ability to to pinpoint that that fastball on a consistent basis. You go back to the fourth inning last night and look at those four consecutive two out hits the Twins. Uh, reporter, you better tip your hat. Now, obviously, two of them were infield singles, yep. but the, the pitches they hit were, were good pitches. I, I don't think Mike would have thrown them any different. You know, I, I think you, you take your chances and throw that same exact pitch every time. And, uh, you know, they were on the corners, and one was even slightly outside the zone. He he had it going last night. I, Brian Snicker said he thought that was one of his best starts of the season. This, this guy has the 
the league's third or fourth best ERA right now. Uh, that that's saying something. And, and I I had to agree. I was I thought he was in total command against you know obviously one of the game's most potent lineups. Uh, tell me about Acuna. Is uh, he'll, he'll strike out a little bit, but uh, that that kid by a couple of years from now is uh, probably going to be one of the best players around. Just watching from a distance. You know, I, I think obviously a thirty. He's going to have a thirty thirty season this year. You know, he would have to go on a, an incredible home run tear. Not not incredible. I mean, he's going to have to have a a pretty good pace the rest of the season with his power to get to 40-40, but just the fact that we're, we're talking about that here when he is still just 21 years old, he he is exciting, you know, and he, he can beat you with his power, with his speed, um, and I really like the way he looks now that he's out in right field. He, you saw his arm last night. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'd say, I would say that, uh, you know, within a a year or two, yeah. I mean, he's the guy that's that's going to be ready to uh, to battle. So not only maybe battle Trout for being the game's best player, but uh, maybe just take that that title when when as Trout uh, continues to age and, and is ready to to pass the torch. Hey, uh, Mark, thanks for your time, and we will see you at the yard. All right. All right, uh, Mark Bowman, he covers the uh, Braves for MLB.com. We don't spend a lot of time uh, talking about the National League, but uh, they are uh, definitely a, a team on the come here. There's uh, good, no doubt about squad, it. Yeah. They did really well in uh, Latin America. You know, they've done some, they've signed a bunch of guys there. I think they got in a little trouble for some of the guys they signed <laughs> with, but uh, they uh, they have done really well. And they already and, got Acuna locked up long it, term, so. It is amazing, Donnie. You forget how big a town that city that is that, you know, it's one of the biggest in Minnesota. They're drawing, they're filling up their baseball stadium and their soccer stadium, which is 50,000. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it is definitely the New South. They, uh, they've they always described it as the New South, and it. uh it is the New South. I always I had some good friends down there. They aren't there anymore. But uh, Atlanta's a interesting place, and they have a uh, interesting baseball team. Yeah. And uh, the Twins, one of the Twins' best victories of the year, beating that Soroka last night. Yeah. I mean, not, I'm winning a game that he started because that guy. He's been fantastic good. for them. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we shall uh, return. Manny Hill and Ricey. Uh, this has been our baseball podcast. Back next week with the TK doubleheader. And if you don't know what that is, that's your problem.